You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I absolutely love having conversations with people who inspire and intrigue me. And we go through the journey of their life, not just talking about their most recent shiny thing, but we tend to get to that too. On today's episode, I really enjoyed talking to Jess Ekstrom. I have watched her for a few years and I have just been so inspired of what she continues to create and put out in the world. So, so cool to hear her journey. She has a new book that I think just came out last week, uh, which is called Create Your Bright Ideas. It's more aimed at youth, but I think honestly, it's going to be groundbreaking for adults too, because as Jess and I talk about several times in this episode, it feels like things can be more challenging the older we get because we know more. So it can be harder to do the things we want because we understand more of what comes with it. (laughs) Anyway, I really think you're going to love this conversation. Please hit subscribe or follow depending on where you are. If you haven't yet, please leave a review for the podcast that helps podcasts become more discoverable. And um, of course, I just love hearing from you and who you are that's listening. Definitely hit me up with a DM too. I love hearing from you. All right, let's get into the episode. Okay, I am so excited to talk to you because I feel like I've been like watching from afar over the years and just being like, oh, wow, that's cool that that thing that that person's doing. Oh, wow, now they're doing this. Oh, wow, now they're doing like, I feel like you have so much going on (laughs) right now. And I don't know if that's the truth, but I'm very impressed with you and what you keep creating and putting out into the world. Thank you. I do have a lot going on. So thank you for, but so does everyone. So. Right. Yeah. Everybody does. But yeah, no, I was even just like getting ready to talk to you. I again was looking at, I was like, oh, right. And then that. Um, so I'm excited to hear about your journey more. I love, you can start earlier than this, but I love um, especially focusing on high school oh, and yeah. like <laughs> in high school, like what life was like for you. And like, if you had this dream idea of what your life, you know, was going to be, because I feel like in high school is where that pressure can start of like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Totally. Who am I? I love that question. I was even talking to someone about that the other day. Like, I feel like sometimes the people who weren't maybe the the head of the popular table in high school are the ones who really became like innovators and creators because they're, you know, maybe just looking at things from a different perspective and and you know that was definitely me i i feel like i was like someone that never was like the star of of anything in high school i had a sister who who was a year older than me and her name's heather she's amazing and she was the star of everything she was like student body president captain of the cross country team i mean if like my whole life. And it wasn't, I didn't really feel a sense of competition with her. I just was like, oh yeah, Heather's the, (laughs) Heather's the one going and achieving and doing great things. And so I didn't really get that good of grades. I wasn't, I, I loved sports. Like sports was something that I really found my passion in, but it wasn't until, and it's funny that you bring up high school because a pretty monumental moment happened for me 
my senior year, like going into college. And I'm not sure if you you know this about me. And if not, is it'll be a, a, a bit of a plot twist. I do. And I forget at the, okay, like forgot yeah. at the same time. But now that you're saying it, I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I found out basically senior year of high school that not only did my parents lose all of their money, but they lost it to Bernie Madoff, who also happens to be my uncle. So that was a really great day in our household um, when that came crashing down. And I feel like, you know, it's a it's a moment that I tried to hide for so many years and just completely disassociate myself with. And it wasn't until I wrote Chasing the Bright Side, which, you know, came out like 11 years after that, that I finally started owning that as a part of my story and recognizing that that moment totally changed everything for me. And it made me, you know, just start thinking and wondering, like, why are we all here? You know, what are we all doing? And also recognizing what greed and just like a little bit of the wrong direction can can do to someone and have that ripple effect on so many people. And so that was really a pivotal moment uh, that maybe not every high schooler <laughs> can relate to, but I think we can all kind of relate to some of those moments where like the, the wind changed directions a bit. And that was mine for sure. Right. And so before that too, and like, yeah, did you feel like, it doesn't sound like you really felt like you're like living in like your sister's shadow or anything. It was just like, oh great. She does all these things. And I don't, or did you feel any sort of, or was there even any pressure from like your family, anything like about to do that? Or was it just, that's Heather? Was it Heather? Heather. Yeah. It yeah. Heather? <laughs> that's Heather. And that's Jess. And then also like getting as high school is getting to close. Did you have any ideas of like, what, yeah, what were you going to be with the rest of your life? Or was it just like, okay, high school, I go to college. Did you not want to go to college? Like all of that stuff too. You know, one of the things that I try so hard now to get across to like kids and teens is, you know, your grades and being able to pick like A, B, C, or D on a test does not dictate who you are in your entire future. Because the reality was I was just not a good test taker. And I felt like that was indicative of like my overall intelligence and my abilities and who I was as a person. And so I had kind of just like come to accept, you know, I'm just not going to be someone great. And I know that that sounds uh, silly to look back on. But I bet, was, but I know it yeah. makes sense. It's like, yeah, but especially back then, I think these days we all do think about it a little bit differently. Like, oh, you might just not be a good test taker. It's just something you would do. Or, oh, you're better at taking in information, hearing it rather than reading it. Like we understand that more. Whereas back then, probably adults very much were like, well, I guess they're just not smart. Or I guess they're exactly you know, like if you can't, if you didn't get good grades on a test. Because what other metric was there, you know, to tell you if you were doing a good job or not. And so that's why, you know, today, like I wrote Create Your Bright Ideas, which is my book for, you know, kids and teens about entrepreneurship, because there's like so much more to your intelligence and your worth than being able to take tests or picking true or false. It's like critical thinking, creativity, really being a problem solver, which I now realize was something I was always good at, but I was just never, you know, in school and in a school setting told to be that or explore it, you know? Right. It's interesting. Yeah. Like I feel like looking back, it's definitely like 
grades. And so that looked at like how smart you were. And then, okay, if you are not just an athlete, but a great athlete, or and if you're an artist, but not like an amazing artist, then like you had to be like the top of everything. And then those were like the categories, basically, or like music. Yeah, like whatever, but not like, right, how and now who can yeah, like in my life and in how many people's life, like it's not, oh, what were your grades in school that really equates anything with what you're doing in your life. (laughs) But you make like such a good point that I also have to remind myself it's, you know, we put so much pressure on ourselves that whatever we do to like be the best when the reality is, is that sometimes like good enough is great, you know? And I can't remember who I heard say this, but it was like, yeah, you might not be Michael Jordan, but you're in the NBA. So it's like when you have a business like, yeah, maybe it's not on like the Forbes top 100 or whatever it might be, but you're still in the NBA. And so to kind of give ourselves some, some grace and some credit sometimes that, you know, we don't always have to be number one. In fact, sometimes like it, depending on what kind of like life design you want, like, I don't want to be someone who's working all the time. Yeah. (laughs) No, I look at the people and I'm like, wow, like I really look up to them. That's amazing what they're doing. And then I'm like, but wait, like, what is that? Like, even like I used to have a dream, of course, I'm not, of course, but I'm sure many people have like to like have your own TV show, right? And your talk show. And then now I'm like, wait, that's like so much, like, wait, your life, like, (laughs) (laughs) and not that I'm afraid of hard work, but like, no, I want to actually like be in my life and enjoy my children. And I love resting and alone time. Oh my gosh, totally. (laughs) Like one time I had this idea where, you know, I do a lot of like speaking and I was like, and I love being able to infuse like comedy into my speaking. I was like, oh, I should do like a stand-up tour and like try to do get into like the stand-up comedian scene. And then I just like research it for like 15 minutes and it's like, you know, you have to stay up past 11 o'clock. And I'm like, immediately, no, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> But and also the commitment to comedic because yeah, like they gotta be out like almost oh, every hustling, night. Hustling. Like doing like yeah. so I do like wow, like you have to tell those people really love what they're doing because of how much work they have to do it to not even be like, yeah, selling out clubs or you know, like you know, places around the country, but like to go to like a hundred people totally. places and have ten people show up. Yeah. Yeah. One of my good friends, um, Kate Rose now, she it has this like common phrase, but reframed, you know, you always hear people say like, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And it's like, you hear that all the time, but the way that she says it is like, what would you still do if you knew you were going to fail anyway? And it's like, that's the more realistic way to think about our dreams and what we want to do is like, if failure is inevitable in some way, shape or form, what would, what is still worth it to you? Because when I can look back on like everything that I've done, whether it's like, you know, headbands of hope, like books, mic drop workshop, like everything has taken longer than I projected, cost more than I projected and been harder than whatever I projected. And so it's like, if all those three things are true, what's still worth it to you to do anyways at the end of the day? And so instead of thinking like, well, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What's worth failing for? Anyway, you know, I love that so much because it's then seeing like, yeah, but there's something in me that still like really wants to do this. That sure, failing could be totally <laughs> like it's like a big possibility, a huge and, possibility, and, and it's worth it. Yeah, it's like I know inside me that I want to try this out. 
I love that. I've been looking at m- most things in the last few years is like, I was always like this, but I honestly think getting older and then even having kids, it makes it like, I was like, yeah, I'll do this and I'll do this and like put things out there. But now as I get older, I feel like question things more, right? Or like whatever. So in the last few years, I've been just trying to think of everything as an experiment. Like, cool, if this program sells, it does. If I'm going to offer this and like, it's not like it doesn't mean anything. If it doesn't, it feels like it's an experiment. Great, great. And I've just I been coming. I love that so much better again. It's again, it was, this used to be how I naturally was. And now like I'm falling back into like, yeah, yeah. And yeah, oh, it's a, it's a success if this and not like, oh, because this many people didn't do it. But like, great, some people signed up. Like, you know what I mean? Like going back into that experiment and excitement about things. Oh my gosh. So it it's, is sort of that, how you're talking about like, yeah, I would still do it if I fail because it feels good to me. I want to try it. Like being able to put on your scientist hat and remove your ego is such a skill and it's so hard to do, but it's, it makes like, when you look at some of like the best entrepreneurs, it's like, they don't take failure. It's not personal. It's, it's research, you know, like, for example, like, you know, right now we're putting together a launch team for create your bright ideas. And we had a couple different ways that we were like promoting it or how people could opt into it. And like the email ops were like so small, like to the point where I was like, what is going on? But then the people who opted in via text was like huge. And so, you know, at first I was like, oh, why don't, why didn't we get, you know, more emails? And I'm like, well, now we know that texting is like a super, you know, effective way to, to get in front of people. And so it was like a learning opportunity, but you know, you did have, I'd had to check myself with just like, you know, just the ego that you attach to results. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it would make up some meaning of, oh, people didn't sign up on the email. So that means they weren't yeah. like, yeah, like it wasn't good <laughs> yeah. enough. Or blah, Which blah, means they just, hate me. Yeah. You know, you yeah. just like the things that you, <laughs> the things that you tell yourself is, uh, yeah, it, you try to fill in the blank a lot when there's no need to fill in the blank. <laughs> yeah. Just like, okay, that's information exactly. that I've now collected. Exactly. And now no let's try things this necessary. <laughs> Okay, let's. I still didn't. I'm like, I'm loving talking to you so much that I'm like, um, so back in high school, no, you weren't school, that great of a, my first period, <laughs> and then you know, no, I'm just <laughs> you weren't that great of a test taker, but yeah. yeah, so Lynn, did you have any ideas of like, what will I be once I yeah. grow up? Because I think it, I feel like back then, I hope things have changed, but it would sort of felt like you pick one thing, and oh my that gosh. is what you are. No, it was so that's so true, and I remember even at my high school. Not only did you have to like pick what you were going to be, you had to not had to, but it was like a trend where everyone, all the seniors would post their college acceptance letters onto their locker. Yeah. And so it was like on display. And if you didn't have, you know, a lot of acceptance letters on your locker, it was like, yeah. Oh, so not even of the school that you chose, no. but like Every school. Yeah. It was the, I'm sorry, but like douchiest thing that now looking back on, I wish I could have just been like, guys, what are we doing here? Like, come on. I mean, it was so bad. But, and I, you know, wasn't, I, I got into like some state schools and I'm so glad that I ended up at NC State because that's where I met my husband and so many things happened for me. But, you know, I didn't get into a lot of these other schools that, you know, people in my school were getting into. But, So yeah, not only did I feel like I had to pick one thing, I also felt like I had to have a ton of different options and I didn't. 
But the thing that I knew that I loved to do was writing. I loved to write. And so I was like, great, I'll be a journalist. And so I started to look at different, you know, journalism schools and so glad that I ended on like a communications degree because then that could be a bunch of different things. And it ended up, you know, being really helpful as it pertains to being an entrepreneur. And, you know, I eventually did become a writer, but like the fact that when we're, what is it like 17 years old, it's like pick you know, not just pick what you want to be like, but put an investment down in, in that. (laughs) It's like, what is this life? I remember, I think I was in Switzerland where I was learning about their education system. And it was like, before you go to college or a university, you spend two years like working in an area that interests you to see what it's like. And I'm like, that is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's so smart because I know so many people like, yeah, it's changed majors so many times. They're like once they learn it or yeah, it's just like you actually study something and then you get out in the world with your degree and be like, oh, this isn't. No, wait. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Psst, Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption. Do you know what feels great? <laughs> Doing this one small thing that really has me feeling so amazing day in and day out, and that's using Sprout Living's amazing plant-based protein powders. These blends are delicious and they have the best ingredients. There's no quote natural flavoring. By the way, that's BS when you see natural flavoring. What does that mean? They don't use any gums. They don't use any thickeners. They do have a little bit of sweetness, but it is the perfect sweetness. Like one of my favorite blends is the Mindful Matcha. I love matcha things, but a lot of times they're either overly sweetened or they're not sweetened at all and it can be too much to handle. Their Mindful Matcha protein powder tastes so freaking good, but every single flavor that I've tried tastes so good. And it makes me feel so good. What makes them different is that they really, really, really put intention into their products. I've never seen such consideration and attention to the quality like these. And it's so nice to feel confident about that, but also feel the difference. And they make it so easy because they taste so good. I love adding my two scoops to make a quick smoothie, but also on days when I'm like, I legit cannot make the time to do that, like running out the door with two kids to get to a soccer game early in the morning, I will throw two scoops old school into a shaker bottle with water and it tastes good. So they make it so easy to add this goodness into your day. And I really do feel a difference in my body from it. It's not just protein. They use powerful superfoods, adaptogens, and nootropics. So it's not just you're thrown in a protein powder. This really has been supporting my mind, my body, my digestion, my immune system, all the things. Go check them out at SproutLiving.com and use my code CLAIMIT20 for 20% off your order. Once again, SproutLiving.com, use code CLAIMIT20 for 20% off your order. And then, so that, the... I'm like, I don't know what to call it. I was like the, when the, the scam or not, yes, when everything whatever. blew up, like yeah, <laughs> when it, yeah, that was when you were still, did it happen over the summer or while you were in school? It happened December of my senior year. Yeah. And so did that 
impact you like socially at school? Like, did do people know to like put it together, or did it just like suck the fact that your family had lost money and it was your relative like that? But like, did you also have any like, yeah, you know, all, all the above? I didn't share it with people, which was really learning about it in class was interesting too. Like hearing teachers talk about your family and not know. And I did learn that like some of, you know, I went to like, you know, I grew up very privileged, you know, I'm a like white woman. I went to a like college prep school and realized that a lot of these like quote unquote friendships that were formed based around going to the mall and like, what are you going to buy and what are you going to do? And when that wasn't an option anymore, those friendships went away. It did also kind of teach me about people and like having kind of more values beyond the external. And so it was, I mean, a really formative experience in so many ways, but definitely with relationships as well. So yeah, like even though perhaps they didn't know what happened just because of all the shifts in your life and one of them being like, yes, the financial situation that you were no longer like, oh, yeah, let me just go shopping yeah. with you all and stuff that like yeah. you sort of – did you end up like withdrawing and being like more isolated? Did you have anyone that was like – I did have guess- one – yeah, one good friend who like, you know, to this day remains through it all. But it really also ignited this like – bullish sense of me. Like I definitely didn't withdraw. It was like, how can I figure this out? And how can I get scholarships, you know, to go to college or like, you know, even like when it came to shopping, you know, I was like, yeah, I don't need clothes. I like having clothes. And so I found this website called Swap Style and you could like post pictures of things that like you had in your closet and then swap with someone in like, Iowa. like I'll trade you this like shirt for that bag. And that was how, and I loved it. I was like, this is so much fun. And so it really started that entrepreneurial thinking and like it. Yeah. I was just going to say like innovative, like it sounds like you got like creative about and innovative about how to still like sort of move through life and it's like, okay, yeah. wait, <laughs> I can't, I don't have the budget to, or unlimited, like whatever to go spend this, but I want new clothes. So how can I do that? Right. And, and I think that like, you know, I find this with business too. It's like when you feel like you have an endless amount of resources, like you're really not that creative, but when things are kind of strapped and you're tight, it's like you realize how innovative you actually are. And I think that that was what I started to discover after the whole Madoff scandal, too. And where did Headbands for Hope? Did I say that the right? <laughs> headbands of right? Hope, yeah. Close. I was, I was like, was wait that. a minute. I was like, wait a minute. Something. Yeah, yeah. Headbands of Hope. Did that start in college for you, or is that after college? Yeah, started in college. So, you know, graduated high school, went to NC State, and uh, first thing I did was I found like a bulletin in a, in a dorm for like the Disney college program. And I was just, again, like trying to figure out how do I start getting myself out there and, and having experiences 
with really no like plan. And uh, so I applied for the Disney college program. So second semester of my freshman year of college, I worked in Disney World as a photo pass photographer in like Magic Kingdom and Hollywood Studios. And that's when I started to take pictures of kids that were there on their wish through the Make-A-Wish Foundation and just absolutely fell in love with the foundation. And so I got back to school my sophomore year and interned over the summer for Make-A-Wish in Charlotte. And that was when I realized that there were so many kids that were losing their hair to chemotherapy and being offered wigs or hats, you know, to cover up their heads. And a lot of them didn't really, weren't really concerned with hiding their experience. They just wanted to feel good about themselves. And so I would see them wearing headbands. And I thought it was like such a cool gesture of confidence. I was like, that's amazing. And uh, so I was like, we should be giving headbands as an option to kids with illnesses. And uh, went on to Google, like Googled you know, headbands for kids with cancer, nothing came up. And I think that like, if I can look back now, I wasn't, you know, profound at the time, but like, that was the moment where, (laughs) you know, when you're looking for something that you can't find, I think that then you're faced with the decision of like, am I the one to create it? Because if I'm looking for it, then I'm sure there's a lot of other people who are as well. So I was like, yeah, I'll do this. How hard could it be? Like famous last words. (laughs) (laughs) And so my junior year, which was now 2012, I started Headbands of Hope. And for every headband sold, we donate one to a child with an illness. And did you like actually start making them by hand or did you have a manufacturer right away? And like, was this an online shop? Yeah, I started making them by hand. They looked absolutely awful. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, even... a headband does sound like a pretty easy thing to sew, but still. Oh my gosh. It was it's... so bad. I think I can find pictures of it, but it was. And then, you know, you just kind of learn too. That's like, what's the, you know, best use of my time is not like pricking myself with a needle, trying to sew like a flower on a headband. So started making them myself and uh, realized I needed to find another way and got uh, started reaching out to all these different like factories in the US and seeing if any of them could manufacture a headband and finally got in touch with one that was interested in working with me. Went back and forth for months, you know, about different types of headbands, what they could do, fabrics, things like that. And um, finally, they sent me like a headband prototype photo that I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, let's make this headband. And so they sent me over the invoice. They're like, okay, it'll be $10,000. And I was like, well, should have asked this before. Again, being like 19 years old, I also felt like, and this is so silly. And I see this a lot, especially with women. It's like, negotiating and asking about money and like, you know, terms, like I felt like, oh, that's rude. You know, like I shouldn't be doing that, which is so ridiculous. And I want to like shake my 2012 self. But anyways, so I started to, I was like, this is, I have $500 in my bank account right now. This is not going to work. Uh, so I started to like look up how I could potentially fund this and, you know, should I apply for a loan from the bank? Should I try to get 
equity, you know, and give away like, or try to get an investment and give away some equity. And this was around Thanksgiving break. And so I was going home and my dad, who's also an entrepreneur, who was still like, my family was, luckily, since he was an entrepreneur, they still had their business, but they were still definitely hurting. Like from, they had lost. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Said, you know, what should I do? Should I try to get a loan or investment? And he had been following this like the whole time, seeing my business plan, seeing my website. And he was like, I actually think this is a really good idea and I want to be your first investment. Like, you know, not like a, a favor, but like, I want to be an investor. And I was like, that's amazing. And I mean, it was like one of the most like validating points of my life that like he wanted to, you know, be involved in this. And oh my gosh, I went to the bank. I wired them the factory, the money, the full 10,000. And I never heard from them again. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was awful. And yet you still kept going. You didn't give up on this idea. And how? Like sometimes I still am like, what was I thinking? Like that was like a best excuse to say, you know what, like peace out. But, um, you know, what I think it really like, and we ended up going to court and trying to get the money back on the stuff. And I learned a lot during the process. But what it ended up boiling down to was like, if you have ideas that you feel like are scratching an itch or solving a problem, it's really hard to let those ideas go because when you let the idea go, that means the problem isn't solved. And so kids not feeling good about themselves after losing their hair to chemotherapy, that was like my itch. That was my problem. Headbands of Hope, which provides headbands to boost their confidence. That was, you know, my scratch. That was my solution. And so it really wasn't about like the failure of an idea. It was about, you know, a problem not being solved or an itch not being scratched. And so I um, <laughs> applied for a $300 grant that my university was giving away to students who were starting businesses. And I got $300. I bought two different types of headbands from the supplier that I found on Etsy and put those headbands up on my website, April 25th, 2012. And then the rest, rest is history. But like, it goes back to also what I was saying of when you're strapped for resources, like you never, like things that you wouldn't even realize you could pull off. You do, you know, that's amazing. And it still is going on, right? You still operate that? Yeah. Yeah. It is. We launched in Kohl's this week. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Seriously? Mm-hmm. That's, is that the first like major retailer or no? And I no, just we've no done, idea. um, <laughs> Ulta makeup stores, wow. um, and a few others, but yeah, Kohl's was a big one for us. And so go shop at Kohl's and find us. <laughs> and it's the same model. If somebody buys a headband, then you're able into, are people like, how do, is that go through make a wish or are people like go to your site to like, um, submit themselves to receive? Or, yeah. yeah. So we've donated to every hospital in America in 22 countries now. So we have relationships with all the hospitals, but also a ton of organizations like American Childhood Cancer Organization and, you know, Alex's Lemonade Stand, St. Baldrick's Foundation. And so we've partnered with some really cool nonprofits too that were able to 
to give the headbands to you, but we do take nominations on our website as well. If you know a kid or someone in your community or a hospital that you wanted to go to, you can submit that on headbandsofhope.com. That's so incredible. So that was happening while you're in college. When you finished college, was was you were you just focused on that, or was that like this is something I'm doing on the side? What am I doing? So I was very fortunate to. I feel like I could jump with a safety net. Like I feel like there's a lot of people who start businesses or just want to go for it. And like, there is no plan B, you know? And, you know, I said it before, but I just was like, looking back, I was just so privileged with like, I could go for it. And if it didn't work out, I knew that I was still going to have a roof over my head and a family who could, you know, give me food. And so I was like, why not? You know, let's, let's shoot my shot. By the time I graduated, like, I mean, it was, it wasn't anything groundbreaking, but we had had some wins. Like we were in like a gift guide on the Today Show or something like, okay, like there's something something (laughs) here, you know? And, um, so I went for it and, uh, yeah, did headbands hope full time. And, I'm really glad I did because we've been able to do a lot <laughs> over the past 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's and makeup, they are not that expensive of a product to buy. And then also the manufacturing and then also you're giving them away. So it's like it's not really like you're making a ton of money per mm-hmm. headband sale. So you need a, a high percentage of, of sales yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to actually be able to keep the business going, like not even to like you have an, an right. income from it, but yeah, to pay for all Ain't the things that, that the need truth. to happen. And these are the yeah, things so that's that, like, incredible. That, that like what you just said is like a reason today why I wouldn't do something. Like I, you yeah, know, exactly. Have, it's like, we know too much. That you know too much. <laughs> that's like a hundred percent true. And it's, that I feel like the, like, I don't want to say like ignorance is bliss, but one of the reasons why I wrote, you know, create your bright ideas is because I want kids to start before they have that information. Like, I don't know if I would have started Headbands of Hope given the reality of what you just said of like the amount of headbands that I would have to sell in order to make a dent in like a bank, you know? And I think that the as adults, it, it, we're so quick and easy to talk ourselves out of ideas because we have the data and information, but also that data and information doesn't tell the full story of what's possible. Whereas kids, when they don't have all of that data and information, they're purely moving through what inspires them and what sounds fun. And that's where we should be. That's a great place to be. And sure, you'll run into some speed bumps along the way, but you can figure it out. Yeah. So, okay. So you decided to run it full time and like, yeah, not knowing, I mean, I guess you had your dad, was your dad able to be a good help as he was entrepreneur, but I don't know if he was like, yeah, selling merchandise online, right. probably <laughs> yeah. a likely big different, <laughs> yeah, yeah. big difference. There's a lot He's of different like, types of entrepreneurs. <laughs> what's Instagram? Yeah. No, my dad was super helpful in like the financial side and, you know, helping me figure out, like, how much do I need to charge? You know, what do I need to do? How do I pay taxes? Like, <laughs> things like that. But then really to get it going, you know, it was around the time when uh, two things that I did that that ended up working. First was 
this was around the time like blogging was becoming really popular and everyone had a blog. Yeah. And um, I remember seeing an article in like fitness magazine that was like five fitness bloggers to watch. And I remember I reached out to each of those five bloggers and was like, here's what I'm doing. I'd love to send you a headband if you want to post about it on your blog. Out of those five bloggers, like two responded to me and then one of them actually posted. And that day that that one blog posted, I still remember the name of it. It was called Healthy Tipping Point. And that day I made $500 in sales on the website, which was like a million dollars, you know, to me at the time. And so it was like, okay, I learned that, you know, throwing darts, like you're not going to hit every single one, but like your conversion rate, if you can get one out of every five blogs to post, then that's, then that means I need to reach out to X amount of blogs. So I kind of learned like, it doesn't always have to be a yes. In fact, I'm going to get a lot of no's, but if you keep going, like you'll eventually get that yes. And so then the other thing that I started to do again with like zero, you know, marketing budget was I started to ask teachers if I could speak to the class before class got started and just say, give me like five minutes. And that was while you were in college. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. While I was in college, give me five minutes. Like, cause yeah, some classes were like 20 people, but then some lecture classes were like a hundred and 150 people. And, uh, so I'd ask them for like five minutes, let me speak in front of the class and just tell them what I'm doing and that they could, where they could buy it. And then, so I would do that. <laughs> and then that turned into like someone in the class, hey, can you come speak at my sorority and and sell headbands? And then that turned into like, maybe I can speak at this business class, not just about headbands of hope, but how other people can start something that matters to them. And then that turned into getting emails of like, hey, what are your rates to come speak at our university? And I was like, hold the phone. You mean that people actually pay for people to come speak somewhere? And so then that led to an entire speaking career. And I know I'm like jumping a lot and things aren't that easy, but um, being able but to But that's speak. where that started. Because I was going to ask, that was one of the next questions, um, because I know one of the things besides yourself being uh, a speaker that, yeah, you have, what is it? I'm like, I keep losing. I don't take mic notes drop of things workshop. I'm going to ask. No, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but yeah, workshop. like the yeah. mic drop workshop so that yeah. you are supporting other women primarily to be speakers and to figure out how to get themselves out there in the world and all the big things, which I love. So that's where your speaking journey started was that you just wanted to tell people about the headbands to try to sell more headbands and like, and then it turned into, can you come speak? Not about the headbands, but like, can you come speak right. about yeah. what were they and, asking? And, and I think that that's like a key differentiator for anyone listening is like, there's like exposure speaking where it's like, hey, let me tell you about my business. And then there's motivational speaking where it's like, I'm going to tell you the story of my business and what you can learn from my story. And like, that's what people pay for. So it went from less of like, here's my sales pitch to like, hey, here's my story and what I've learned. And I hope that you can also take those lessons with you. And that got more refined over time that led into books and, you know, things like that. But 
So yeah, so then that kind of opened me up to the world of speaking and thought leadership. I realized it was very male dominated, which comes as a shock to no one of, you know, people who like to hear themselves talk. And uh, so that's when I started Mic Drop Workshop, which is like an e-learning company where we train women to become professional public speakers. Yeah, which is very, I actually attended your like first, I think it was your first like LinkedIn. Um, oh, yeah. Little, like, LinkedIn Live. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm on your newsletter. And I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's this about? Trisha here, bringing you a brief interruption. You may or may not have seen the news. <laughs> Flashing news break in my world. I am dissolving, letting go. I am liquidizing <laughs> my product line. So there are still items in my shop. I'm sure when you're listening to this at shop.yourgeologist.com. But um, I am choosing that when every single item sells out in the shop, I won't be restocking it. So if you're like, oh, I want to let that shit go journal, you better go grab one. I think there's only two in stock at the time I'm recording this. Uh, I want an I Am Magic keychain. Ah, those are selling right now. There's 24 in stock right now. I don't know how many will be there. So some of my products still have like 100 in stock. Um some have much less. Regardless, each item, once they begin to sell out, I normally would go order more and then they would just be back in stock. And I am not going to do that for now. I don't know if I will never make products again. I don't think that that will happen. I see myself letting go of these things and being more intentional. So creating more decks, more um, guided journals like the Daily Connection Journal. And of course, writing more books, but we'll see. I don't know where this journey is leading me, but for now, go shop and stock up on some products to give for your gifts, for yourself, and more. Thank you again for all the support for buying any products over the years. I it, it's been such a joy and delight. So um, this is a, a new a new chapter for me, and it feels uh, exciting and uh, emotional in all the ways at the same time. All right, so go check out the product, shop.yourjoyalgist.com. So that's so cool. So like, yeah, so it sounds like you went through, you were like, let me tell you about my business with the hopes that you'll buy it. But then it turned into people were like, great, sure about the headbands, but also maybe inspired by the fact that you had started this business, which which then led into being asked to come speak in the more motivational way. Because you were like, like telling a little bit of your story by like, hey, yeah, like I started this business. I really hope you buy the headbands because I'm doing this. Like, Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I think like, you know, by doing that, it really opened my eyes to this like whole world of thought leadership, which you know, is what I'm really interested in now is like how, like, I think the best product we all have is like the story that's our own and how we can use that to help other people. And so, and there just needs to be more spots for women in order to do that and more paid spots, uh, you know, when it comes to speaking, when it comes to book deals and, and all of that. So uh, that's where most of my focus is now. Do you feel like um, people struggle to feel like, well, I don't have a story or my story's not as impactful as this or whatever. So like, I don't have enough to share. Do you feel like people stop themselves for the, that reason? I would say that's like most of what I do is people are, you know, a lot of times 
they want to come to mic drop workshop because they want to learn the fundamentals of a keynote or how to deliver it or what to charge or what contracts to use. But the reality is, is like when they get there, of course we teach all those things, but they really need the green light that their story is enough and that they don't need to have some like crazy roller coaster plot twist in order to become a speaker. In fact, like one of the key things that, you know, is becoming very popular in speaking now is relatability. You know, it used to be like very more like lecture based. And now people want to be able to identify with the speaker. They need to be able to say, like, if she can do it, then I can do it and draw the connections between like where they're sitting in the audience to where that speaker is standing. And so the more authentic and relatable that you can be as a speaker, I mean, the more you can really reach people. And so imposter syndrome is definitely something I still experience. But at the end of the day, like everyone can learn from someone else's story. And it's just about being able to extract, we call it the universal experience. So it's like, yeah, if I'm speaking about my entrepreneur, my startup story, Rarely am I speaking to other entrepreneurs. I might be speaking to like a sales conference or dental hygienists or whoever it might be. So what was the universal experience of my startup story that I can teach to someone who's never going to go through that same thing? Um, And we can all learn to do that. Love that. Okay. Jumping back. So yeah, what made you want to write your first book? Is it mm-hmm. chasing the bright side again? Mm-hmm. I'm, like, question. I'm like, I think I know things and then yeah, I question right. myself. <laughs> yeah. Chasing the bright side. Yep. And at that time when you, yeah, what was your life like when you decided, okay, I'm going to write a book? I mean, I knew you had always wanted to be a writer, you said, but yeah. Had always wanted to be a writer. Because it's not an easy thing to take on <laughs> and no. to make space for in your life. I'm like, my first book came out this year and now I'm like trying to work on the second one. I'm like, how did I do that? How did I make the space? To- oh my gosh. Yeah. We need to talk about that because it is like, I almost feel like the second book is harder than the first book. You, thousand percent. Again, you have the data. You don't know what you're in for. I feel like this is a theme of this podcast episode. I thought it'd be easier. Like, oh no, I know how to write a book yeah. proposal so I can like blah, blah, blah. But it's still like... Wow, wait. <laughs> I know. I what do they call it? Like sophomore syndrome or something, where the second time around is harder because you kind of like know what you're in for. So I had always wanted to write a book. And, you know, I had this idea to write a book. I think I was calling it If They Only Knew. And it was gonna be almost like a chicken soup for the soul book of like people who were successful, like what was the middle part of their story where they almost gave up. You loved it. The oh, I was like, well, you, I was like, you could still do this, right? <laughs> I'll publish you, it for you. You were the, the small few. You were the minority. Um, I'm like, obviously, was, that's like the theme of my podcast, basically, is like, tell us the challenging parts. But I think it would like, it works as a podcast, but people were like, the whole chicken soup theme style of writing, like, isn't working anymore, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until someone one day was like, why don't you tell your own story? Like, why are you writing a book about other people's stories? And it was literally like the same thing that I teach (laughs) other people's like your story's enough. Yet here I am, you know, hiding behind other people's. And so I was like, okay, if I was going to write my own story, what would the theme be? Like, what would that general, like universal experience be? And when I could kind of draw a, a, like thread a needle through like 
Bernie Madoff through starting Headbands of Hope through like kind of my life experiences, like that needle I could thread was training myself to be optimistic. Like in each point of my life, whether it was Bernie or the business or whatever, it was like this like mental gym (laughs) that I would go to of like, how do I continue to bring the best possible scenarios to the table and like work towards those instead of getting caught up in like the what could go wrong and the doom and gloom. And I felt like I had gotten some pretty good ways that I could do that. And so training myself to be optimistic was the the theme that I could pull out, which is where the idea for chasing the bright side came from is like how we could just train ourselves to, to not just like believe in better, but be the one that goes and creates it. And so, um, yeah, I've got a book deal with HarperCollins. And now a few years later, it's like, it's it's still cranking, which that's the other thing is, you know, people like to make you believe that your book will like live and die in the first month of sales. And it's just so has not been the case for Chasing the Bright Side. Yeah. Love to hear that because that's something I remind myself like all the time because it can feel like such a, you work so hard for it. And right. And then it comes out and then it's like, yeah, like, oh, so if it doesn't make the, this, this, or the blah, 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 or get this press, like, you know, like it can feel like we can automatically, our brains go into comparison. And it's like, you never know like what can happen and when something's going to take off or just like where it's going to fall into somebody's hands. And it's so cool to just even like this week, you know, hear from people, oh, I found your book in the Barnes and Noble in like some random state. And it's like, and I went into a local bookstore that's like seriously a mile from me. And I signed the two copies they had the week it came out. And a couple months I went back later and those two copies were there. And so I was like, oh man, of thousands and thousands of books, right? But I was like, nobody liked book. I went back this week with my kids to check and those were gone. And I was like, you you know, and it was like that. And it's like such a small thing, but I was like, somebody out there came to this bookstore and of all the books, they chose mine. Yes. It's such an So trying to focus on those little things, but yeah. But um, so thank you for that um, reminder that, like I said, I'm constantly trying to remind myself. Of course. It's like, so it's just this lie that we like tell ourselves. And I think it's also stemmed from so much of living in the age of social media that like, you know, you constantly feel like the only metric of your success is by comparison to someone else, whether that's like a book list or someone else's, you know, books or something like that. And so it's, it's something that I'm, you know, my book, my new book, Create Your Bright Ideas comes out in a month. And I, you know, vowed to myself with this book, <laughs> like before I even turned in the manuscript, I'm like, if I'm going to do this book, it's going to be because I want kids to become entrepreneurs and teens to become entrepreneurs, like, and try to throw out the rest, you know, of the stuff that comes around from launching a book or doing anything. And I've caught myself like a few times being like, ah, oh, we got to hit this like pre-order number and we got to do blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like, at the end of the day, you know, my hope is just this gets in kids' hands and it helps them out. Like the rest out of my control. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's super awesome to hit lists and be on those things and have the high numbers. And it's still like, yeah, we don't know. It could happen even years from now. Like it's a pretty incredible thing that like once you create it, then it out there and it exists. But yeah, that's what like when I get the comments, the message, the whatever, it's like, this is the reason I wrote the book. Totally. <laughs> like, to hear from one person about how much that. 100%. 100%. So yeah, what inspired that to be your next um, book? And it's like, is it like a workbook style sort yeah. of thing? 
So it's an interactive entrepreneurship book. So it's like over 200 pages where they read, you know, the story of Headbands of Hope, but then at the same time, they're like prompted to journal about like what problems they see in the world, how they want to fix them, what are their talents, what are their passions. Um, There's coloring pages, challenges, and then at the end of it, there's like a tear out business plan where they can, you know, put the pen to paper and figure out like what kind of business they want to start. And, um, so it's, it's meant for like teens and tweens, like eight to 12 year olds, but I'm like, there's been adults that have gotten their hands on it. (laughs) Though as you were describing it, I was like, this sounds like it would be ideal for adults. And in sort of that same way where we were talking about, like where we know too much in some ways that we stop ourselves, that perhaps buying a book that is meant for (laughs) totally (laughs) not adults is simplifying it in a way so that you are listening to what you want and not the like doing the math on things, which in learn. Oh my gosh. Like going back to the basics is like so refreshing. It was even therapeutic for writing it. I'm like, oh yeah. Entrepreneurship is about creating what you wish existed. Like you know, end, end point, like period. And, you know, we just try to overcomplicate things as adults. So even though it's meant for like teens and tweens, Create Your Bright Ideas is definitely a book for adults as well. And who doesn't love coloring pages too? They have like mantra quotes that you can tear out. So yeah, it's an interactive book. uh, And my hope is that, yes, like maybe a a teen or tween will read it and say, oh yeah, this is the business I'm going to start. But more than that, I just want people to think like an entrepreneur, kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast is like so often, especially as kids, where we measure ourselves based on like our test taking abilities or where we, you know, stand in, in school. And entrepreneurship is like not just about starting business, but it's about critical thinking or like problem solving or like using failures as research or being creative and and helping people. And so, yes, I hope people start businesses from it. But more importantly, I just hope they adapt the mindset of like what entrepreneurship really is and be able to apply that to their life. Right. And it sounds like even like just be able to acknowledge and appreciate themselves and like what excites them, what they care about and stuff and not just like who I am based on how well I do in sports and what my grades are, yeah, or, et cetera. And, and, you know, just more importantly, or just like if I could put a headline to it, is just at the end of the day, believe it could be them. Because if they don't have that belief that it could be them, then they're not going to be looking at the world or their experiences through that filter of like, you know, a filter of possibility to be honest. And, you know, I did have (laughs) that belief that like, it wasn't, I wasn't it, you know? And then once I changed that and believed like, oh yeah, this could, it could be me. I don't know what it is, but it could be me. Then we're just so much more open to, to possibilities and just realize that there's like endless winning scenarios for all of us. There's not just one plan. And so that's what I really hope kids take away from it. Awesome. Love it. Okay. I'm going to ask questions. I ask everyone to wrap up. Um, What are go-tos to raise your joy levels when you may be feeling like funky and it's like, oh, okay. Like what can I do to give myself a mood boost? Oh, that is 
such a good question and it needed to be asked it this morning because I was not having a, like for no reason, you know, it was just like one of yeah, those no, days. Things yeah. happen. We don't yeah. have to have a reason for exactly. why we are not. It's totally. Um, I'm also, I think this will, like, I haven't told many people yet, but I think it'll be out by the time this podcast comes out. I'm six months pregnant. And so my emotions have been a roller coaster. I definitely cried because I wanted a frosty and Wendy's was closed, which I'm like <laughs> not <laughs> usually that emotional. But uh my husband Oh life and pregnant <laughs> my husband made me a YouTube playlist of all of the videos that have ever made me like hysterically laugh. And so that was like the best gift. So I watched that that but um really like just I know this is the most boring answer ever, but walking, like if I can just get outside and in, in, in the moment when I'm having that spiral, I'm like, walking won't fix anything. And, you know, and then you're out there and you're like, Oh, you know, here we are. So just walking is helpful to clear my mind. Same, same. Um, okay. I ask everybody to apply this phrase to themselves. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's harder, but just maybe a way that you're wired or. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's a really great question. I would say what is like easiest for me is if I could have my hand in everything. Like I want to know everything that everyone's in my business, you know, but what is best is doing what I do best, you know, which is like the creative work, the speaking, the writing, like, so I have to turn off that control freak quite frequently. <laughs> yeah. What has that been? Cause yeah, I'm assuming now with all the different arms of if headbands of hope is still going plus then, um, this like speaking online speaking school, plus all the other things you likely have had to hire many people yeah, over the yeah. years for different things. Like was, has that been a challenge? Totally. To find. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and not for any reason of the people that I've hired, they've been amazing. The challenge has been my own stuff and being able to step back and say, maybe even if I don't give them the roadmap, they'll find a way like, and that and some and most of the time they find a way better than what the roadmap is I would have presented them. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Okay, the last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It because I feel so often we have been programmed to like seek, you know, I will be enough when this happens. I will be successful when this happens. But we're usually focusing on what we think that will look like instead of what that would feel like. And so if we could actually like focus on, oh, like, you know, what would it feel like to feel successful? What would it feel like to feel enough? We can actually claim it or get really close to claiming it in that moment. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? I think I'm claiming just like the seasonality of life and work. You know, things oftentimes we trick ourselves to being definite, like, you know, uh, I'm either on or I'm off or I'm in or I'm out. And like right now, especially with being pregnant and it's my first kid, like, you know, I have been wanting to take some time, like take a step back. And there's been this voice in my head telling myself, well, if you take a step back, then you're never going to be, you know, 
you're going to lose so much or you're going to miss everything. And, and I'm like, no, everything is seasonal. Like look at Adele. Like she took like however many years off and came back with a banger and you're just like, yeah, the world will go on. I'm not that important. It'll be fine. Yeah. 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 No, I, I love that for, for you and for everyone. And it is, it's so important. So whether, and whether like you have like a reason of a human that's going to come out of you, but also like, I've really, that's actually, it's funny. It's like something I've been sharing a lot about this week in general. It's like, cause I've been feeling like this need to hibernate and like go in. And sometimes our brain goes to like, we should be doing this or that or that, or like, no, like, you know, this is the way, but like just allowing ourselves to trust what we feel. And yeah, it's okay to pull back. And it doesn't mean that anything's wrong or trying to figure out why we don't feel like is on. It's just like, okay. So like allowing the seasons of life. And sometimes those can be long seasons. And sometimes it could be just a couple days of like, yeah, I'm feeling like I want to pull back and be quiet. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Well, I've loved chatting with you so much. I love everything that you've been putting out in the world and um, can't wait for this new workbook. What is it called again? Create Your Bright Ideas. Create Your Bright Ideas. Yeah. It sounds like it would be helpful for people of all ages. Yes, definitely. So yeah, you can order it wherever. And then I also like to tell people I have a hype text that I send out every Monday. And so if you need a little... Monday motivation, you can text me the word hype to 704-228-9495. And that is how I love to to meet people. Love that. Very cool. I'm gonna have to look into I'm like, yeah. no, I'm intrigued. I'm like, I want to get in on this text, text messaging mark or not marketing, text messaging, being in contact with people. Yeah, it's, <laughs> loving it's really them great. Up. I love it. And I actually read the texts that people send. So definitely shoot me a note. Yeah. Awesome. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. For more on Jess, I will have the links to her book, her website, all the things in the show notes for all things me. You can go to yourjoyologist.com. I'm at underscore Trisha Huffman on social media. Plus the podcast is at Claim It Podcast. I'm sending you some love out there today. And I would love for you to think about and to consider what am I claiming for myself in this moment? What are you claiming for yourself in this moment? I really hope that listening to these conversations supports you, empowers you. Again, I would love for you to leave a review for the podcast. And if you do, you can screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I'll send you a little gift from my product line and go get my daily inspiration app. It's called Own Your Awesome. It's in the app store. Go check out my book, F the Shoulds, Do the Once. And again, I'm just sending you out lots of love. I really appreciate you listening and making the time for these conversations.